0: Uh, I want to cut straight to the chase on the message on tonight and uh, share with you uh, a message that I believe was really birthed out of my experiences that I've had traveling the country, sharing my testimony in different communities of faith, and the challenge that other American Christians have had trying to live out their faith and facing consequences for literally trying to simply live out their faith in the marketplace and in their private life as well, Uh, As many of you may know, there are consequences for being openly Christian in the United States of America today. And I just want to share a message with you in that regard to challenge our hearts uh, on this sizzling summer night. I'm still in the celebration mode from the 4th of July. I still believe it's still cause for us to celebrate the birth of our country. And so there's some patriotism embedded in this message as well. The scripture reading uh, associated with this message comes from the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting at verse 12. I'm going to go through verse 27, and I'm going to do it very quickly because it really is the message in and of itself. Starting at verse number 12, it says, for just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so is So it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink from one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not the hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an ear, an eye, As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor can the head say to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow greater honor. And are, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which are which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part of the body that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Here's the last verse. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. I want to talk on the theme tonight, All One Body, the United Christians of the United States of America. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? Dear God, our Father, how we praise you and thank you for being in your presence under this beautiful sky in this beautiful city at this wonderful community of faith. Now it's time for me in this sizzling summer worship service to share the words you've given me to say, let them see you and me and let them hear you when I speak, and I'll be careful to give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. I forgot to mention I bring you greetings from the Elizabeth Baptist Church in Atlanta, Georgia, on behalf of our pastor, Craig L. Oliver, and our congregation. Listen, brothers and sisters, I think you will agree with me That the United States of America, in spite of all of our challenges, is still the greatest country in the whole wide world. Amen? Because of the freedoms we have in America, we can dream dreams, and all that we need for all of our dreams to come true are available to us right here in the United States of America. We are really indeed the land of the free and the home of the brave. My life story is a testimony of the freedoms that we have and the resources we have to make our dreams come true. Being born in poverty in Shreveport, Louisiana, there were three things that stood out to me as a little boy that fed my dreams. Because we were so poor eating mayonnaise sandwiches and drinking sugar water at the end of every month because we ran out of food stamps and welfare money, uh, I dreamed as a little kid that I wouldn't be poor when I grew up. Also because my dad left my mother with six children when we were all small, uh, and I saw how difficult it was on my mom to raise six kids all by herself. I had a dream that one day I would be a husband and a father and I would be able to take care of my family and that I wouldn't leave my family. But it was also as a little boy growing up in an alley in Shreveport, there was a fire across the street from where we lived. When I saw the firefighters come that day, I dreamed one day that I would be a firefighter. And in the United States of America, back in those days, the grown ups ask us kids all the time, What do you want to be when you grow up? I would immediately say, I don't want to be poor. I want to be a family man. And I I want to be a firefighter. And they would tell us all your dreams are going to come true in America if you believe in and have faith in God, if you go to school and get a good education, if you respect grown people and treat other children like you want to be treated. They said all of your dreams are going to come true. And you know what? They were right, but they missed it. Not only did all of my dreams come true, they came true exceeding abundantly above all I ever asked or thought they would come true because I was raised on faith and patriotism. And I'm, if I'm not the only one in here that was raised on faith, faith and patriotism, we ought to give God some praise for faith and patriotism. But can I tell you that America was not an accident? America has been a part of God's divine plan before the foundation of the world. I believe that in the mind of God, the United States of America was to be a land where God would bring all nationalities back together so that each nation would have an opportunity to choose whether they were going to worship Him or not. What I mean by back together is, remember during the time of Babel where all the were in one accord in one place, and God was not ready for them to build a tower up to heaven, so he gave them different languages. Well, they scattered when they found out who could understand the other ones, and they grouped that eventually, and the land was one big land mass. This is an educational part. The the earth was one big land mass, but when they divided out and separated according to how they could understand each other by languages, if you look at the globe, it's one big puzzle piece. It's one big puzzle, and it it just spread over time into continents. But I believe in the mind of God, even before Babel, He had America in mind to bring all the nationalities back together as one nation. Let me give you some examples of why I believe that's to be the case. I believe He sprinkled evidence throughout the history of our country that He intended for America to be one nation comprised of many nations. When I was the fire chief in Shreveport, Louisiana, I was speaking at an elementary school program, and the children were singing, God Bless America, which is normal at a kid's school program. But this was different because the kids were signing the words as they sang the words, signing the words with sign language. And every time they said the word America, they signed America like this. And I asked the teacher after the program, Was there any significance to signing America in that way? She said, yes, Chief Cochran, what it really means is many nations coming together as one nation. So that was one indication that I believe God just dropped some breadcrumbs to us to let us know that it's always been on his mind. One of my favorite movies of all times, all times, is The Wizard of Oz. Anybody besides me love The Wizard of Oz? I love The Wizard of Oz. I still watch it at least one time a year, at least once a year. It still inspires me. It still gives me these these fantasies and dreams about impossibilities when I watch The Wizard of Oz. But when I was about 35 years old watching The Wizard of Oz, you know at the end where Toto goes and pulls back the curtain and exposed the wizard, When he begins to give the gifts out. One of them he was talking to, and he used this phrase, e pluribus unum. Now, I was 35 years old. That's not the first time I heard it, but that's the first time I had a conviction that I don't know what it means and I've got to find out what that means. Well, I did the research and found out it's on American money, and it's a Latin phrase, and it means many as one. It's another sign that God dropped in there to let us know that it's always been his intentions to bring our country together as one nation made up of many nation In the Constitution of the United States of America, there is a phrase that I call our mission statement. I call it a prophetic statement. It says, we the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. We the people at the time that it was written. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, did not include all the people, but God in His sovereignty knew that one day we the people would mean all the people. In our Constitution, there is a statement that prefaces the Bill of Rights. It says, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that we are endowed by our Creator with certain unalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I call it a prophetic statement, brothers and sisters in Christ, because at the time that it was written, it was not inclusive of all the people. The African slaves were not counted as human beings. They were only counted as one-fifth of a person. But God in His sovereignty knew that when that statement was written that all men are created equal, it would include all people, all men that were endowed and created by our Creator. Here's the last little nugget I want to let you know that God has given us evidence along the way that His sovereign plan was for the United States of America to be one nation of many nations. And the very pledge that we make to our nation, it ends with one nation, one nation under God, indivisible, unable to be divided, with liberty and justice for all. God in His sovereignty wanted this nation from the very beginning to be one nation made up of many nations. When I was a kid, we sang lots of patriotic songs when we were in elementary school. And a good segue from this section of the introduction to the next portion of the message is now that I have laid the groundwork that God in his sovereignty intended for the United States of America to be one nation made up of many nations, we can all sing, all nationalities, all ethnicities, with one united voice, this land is your land, this land is my land, from California to the New York Islands, from the Redwood Forest to the Gulf Stream waters, this land was made for you and me mean. Can we give God praise for that? So, here's the reality. We all came here on different boats, but now we are on the same boat, and God intends for us to be one nation made up of many nations under a great and awesome God. Now, here's the next section. Religious liberty is a big deal in our country. America is great because of religious liberty. America has flourished because of religious liberty. By the grace of God, we have been allowed as Americans to live out our faith under the protection of our government. As a nation founded in large degree on biblical values, codified in a constitution, as a nation we've had many challenges, but we have flourished and overcome them all. The American dream is a reality for all of us, And all of us are in route if we have not achieved the American dream. But regretfully, now that we have been so bountifully blessed and government protections for the public expression of our faith are being threatened, too many believers are afraid to speak the truth for fear that we will lose the stuff that we have accumulated in the American dream for conforming, with popular culture or political correctness. Many Christian Americans can no longer say boldly. One of my favorite Christian artists is Toby Mack, And one of my favorite songs by Toby Mac is, I don't want to gain the whole world and lose my soul. I think that there are not many Christians today can really say that with conviction. I don't want to gain the whole world and lose my soul. Sadly, because of the fears that American Christians have of losing things because of the public expression of their faith, sadly, the saying is, I don't want to lose the world to save my soul. Let me put it specifically. There are some Christians who are in elected offices who say, I don't want to lose my elected office. I don't want to lose my elected office to save my soul. There are some Christian business owners who are afraid they'll lose customers, and they say, I don't want to lose my business to save my soul. There are some Christian entrepreneurs who say, I don't want to lose my business to save my soul. There are some Christians who are dating people that don't have the same Christian values that they have, and they'll say, I don't want to lose my boo to save my soul. And there are some Christians who are real close to retirement, like I was, who are saying, I don't want to lose my job to save my soul. In the United States of America, we hold other things more dear to the bold expression of our faith as some of the other brothers and sisters of our faith in other nationalities whose countries are not protecting them for the public expression of their faith. We have been so sheltered in American theology in the context of American Christian culture, we cannot come close to seeing ourselves making some of the sacrifices that Christians who are not protected by their government are making. In our country, remember about four years ago, 21 Christian Egyptian men were captured by ISIS and given an ultimatum, reject Christ or we're going to cut your heads off. They chose to have their heads cut off rather than to reject Jesus Christ. In Afghanistan, it started about five or six years ago. It's still going on today. From time to time, radical Islamists go to Christian households in Afghanistan, tell them to reject Jesus Christ, or their children will be killed in front of them. There's not a single case where on record today a, family, uh, a Christian family in Afghanistan rejected Christ. And guess what, brothers and sisters? Their precious children were killed right in front of them. About three years ago in northern Africa, just outside of Kenya, at a college campus where Muslim and Christian students attended, a radical group of Islamists stormed the college campus, separated the Muslim students from the Christian students, and they said to the Christian students, you're going to die. The only way you get to live is to reject Jesus Christ. 125 college kids chose not to reject Jesus Christ, and they were gunned down on the spot. When they ran out of bullets, they began to bludgeon them to death. This is about the size of that crowd. Look at this crowd over here. Can you imagine that scene? Because they, they value Jesus greater than finishing college and getting a career, having a family, having kids, getting married, they value Jesus greater than that. So, so listen to this is a hard part of the message. The American culture has spoiled us to the extent that when we're faced with a dilemma between choosing Christ and keeping our stuff, our conclusion is we have too much to lose. When our brothers and sisters in countries who don't have the protection from their government that our Country provides when they face when they're faced with the dilemma, they smile and say, We've got too much to gain. And so, in our culture, we've got to look at the value. You know, we've been saying it in our church, I don't know about your church, we've been saying it, it for our in our church for years to live as Christ, but to die as game. And Christ, God told me when I said, God, I don't know if I could do what they did. How were they able to do what they did? And the Holy Spirit just gave me the simple answer. They don't just say to live is Christ and to die is gain. They really, really believe that there's nothing on earth that can come close to being with Jesus Christ. And that's how it's possible for them to do it. So, so listen to this. This is, some, this is a participatory part. Many of you are listening to me and, and questioning whether or not you have the boldness and the courage to do it. Here's a little way for us to kind of pretest. You know what? I didn't really know that God had prepared me to deal with what I went through until I began to go through it. But praise be to God, I discovered very quickly that He had adequately prepared me for what I was going through. Here's a way that I want us to assess the crowd to determine, are we prepared for that test that we when we face that type of a test. Question number one, here's five assessment questions. Question number one is, are you spending more time complaining about what our enemies of religious liberty are doing rather than rejoicing over the things that God is doing? The response is, if you're spending more time complaining about what enemies of religious liberty are doing, rather than rejoicing over what God is doing, you may not be ready for the test. So here's our disposition. Our disposition should be, I will spend more time rejoicing in what God is doing than complaining about what my enemies are doing. Here's question number two. Are you more fearful of what our enemies can do to you than faithful in what God can do for you? When you think about that question, If you're more fearful of what our enemies can do to us than what God can do for us, then you may not be prepared when the test comes your way. But this should be our disposition. Our disposition as believers should be, I am more faithful in what God can do than fearful in what my enemies can do." I want to back up for a second because this was supposed to be participatory. I would like for us, if we could, to do these decrees in unison. So this is decree number one. Repeat these words after me. I will spend more time rejoicing in what God is doing than complaining about what my enemies are doing. Here's disposition number two. Repeat this after me. I am more faithful in what God can do than fearful in what my enemies can do. So here's a a question number three, assessment question number three. Are you more influenced by the threats of our enemies than by the promises of God? If you are more influenced by the threats of our enemies than by the promises of God. You may not be prepared, but this should be our disposition. Repeat this after me. I am more inspired by the promises that God has made than paralyzed by the threats my enemies have made. Here's question number four. Are you more anxious over the words your enemies are speaking than inspired by the words that God is speaking? If you are, then you may not be prepared. But here is our disposition. Repeat these words after me. I am more empowered by the words God is speaking than anxious over the words my enemies are speaking. Here's the last question, the assessment question number five. Have I ascribed more influence to the position power of my enemies than I have acknowledged the authority of the Most High God? If you're giving more influence to the position power of your enemies than you are to the authority of the Most High God, you may not be prepared. But here is our disposition. Repeat this after me. I acknowledge the omnipotent authority of the Most High God over the influence of any position of my enemies. Could you give yourselves a big round of applause for those? decrees. So why is it necessary to ask all these questions in decrees and decrees and recite all these dispositions? Again, brothers and sisters, it's not a matter of if you're gonna face a test as to whether you're gonna stand for Christ or not. It's a matter of when is the test gonna present itself. And as such, there is a significant need for the body of Christ to rise to unprecedented levels of unity and solidarity in the United States of America regarding religious liberty, the sanctity of life, marriage, sexuality, and family. Because our divisions by denominations, by race, by political parties, and even by geography is really diluting the collective power and voice that we have as a body of believers in the United States of America. And as God's people, as God's body, as the body of Christ, we have got to demonstrate unity on biblical truths across denominational lines, across racial lines, across political party lines, and across geographical divisions. Those divisions have, listen to this word, dismembered the body of Christ in the United States of America. We should not be in a struggle as the body of Christ in the United States of having to choose sides on where we will stand when it comes to the gospel, where we will stand when it comes to marriage, sexuality, family, and religious freedom. If these foundations be destroyed, then what will the righteous do? If these foundations be destroyed, what will our great-grandchildren and our great-great-grandchildren do? If we continue to be silent and passive about our faith when we are challenged about our faith. Our 4th of July celebrations 20, 30 years from now will become memorial services of the religious freedom that we used to enjoy in the United States of America. I sounded like Jeremiah. But they will become memorial services rather than celebrations of the land of the free. And the home of the brave. So, so here's a quick recap, summary and closure of the Scripture. And it's very, very simple. I like the analogy that the Scripture used of the body of Christ. Listen to this. It's simple. Verse 12, the summary of verse 12, brothers and sisters, is we are all one body. That's verse 12. Verse 13 and 14 summary is, listen to this, the body is not one member. The body is not one family. The body is not one ministry. The body is not one congregation. The body is not one denomination. The body is not one ethnicity or race. In some congregations, one member runs the whole congregation, and they're not the pastor. In some congregations, one family that's been in the church for generations run the whole congregation. One family is not the body. In some denominations, there are influential Congregation so large, so affluent, they influence the entire denomination. One church congregation is not the body. There are some races that feel that they are superior than other races and call themselves Christian. One race is not the body. Can I get an Amen? A mindset of disunity. This is the summary of 15 through 17. It's sin. On an individual level it's called pride, arrogance, and conceit. On an organizational level it's called sedition or schisms, division in the body. Any member of the body that is comfortable with division is willfully contributing to the dismemberment of the body of Christ. That's the summary of 15 through 17. The summary of 18 through 23 is when the church is called the body of Christ, it refers to a spiritual global organism, not one person, one ministry, one congregation. It's referring to an organism of many that's comprised of individual members. Each member is a part that has a specific function that is designated by Almighty God Himself. Here is what I'm going with that. Dismembered body, body members take away from the full function of the body. So here is my experiences, brothers and sisters, that really hit me home on this one body topic, the unifying of the body of Christ. We have in our country evidence of the dysfunctions of a divided body by race, by gender, by denomination, by political party lines. And here are some examples. There are some churches that are doing some great work in these areas. But we could do exponentially more greater things if we were all one body. But some of the evidence of our dysfunctions our divided body, are the lost in the United States of America are on the decrease. Lost people are decreasing. Our baptisms and salvation numbers are going down in the United States of America. Naked people who are homeless are growing in the United States of America. That's part of the mission that Christ gave us to clothe the naked. Hunger in America continues to grow. Widows and orphans continue to be abandoned. Injustices in our country continue to prevail. Turmoil in our country continues to go. Sick people are dying of curable diseases in our country. Families are falling apart in Christendom in the United States of America. America is electing professional politicians. American churches are terminating godly pastors who speak, speak the truth from the pulpit. And another example of our dysfunction is there are churches fostering hate among neighbors rather than loving their neighbors. Those are evidences of a dysfunctional, divided body of Christ. One of the saddest stories I've ever read in the Bible. Still breaks my heart to read it, it breaks my heart to talk about it. I need an extra anointing of the Holy Spirit to keep my composure while I'm about to share it. But in Judges chapter 19, there's a story of a Levite who married a concubine and she became unfaithful to him. When he confronted her about it, she went home to live with her father. After about four months, the Levite decided, I'm going to get my wife. When he went to get his wife, her father fell in love with him. His father-in-law just fell in love with him and would not let him go after several times of staying at, at his request, he decided, hey, we've got to go. Well, when they were leaving, they reached this town that it was getting become night, and they were going to stay in the square because nobody invited them in, which was their custom. Well, here comes this guy from Ephraim, the same place the Levite was from. He said, I'll take you in. When they went into his house and began to dine and fellowship, a group of men from the neighborhood came to the house, banging on the door, and says, let that stranger out. We want the man that's in your house. We're going to him all night long. And the man said, no, no, don't do such an evil thing. He said, I have a virgin daughter and this concubine. Take one of them. They said, no, we want the man. So, they forced the concubine out. And rather than ravaging the Levite, they ravaged his concubine. The Bible says, as the sun was coming up, she made her way back to the steppe. And the Levite comes out and said, let's go. Put her on the mule. She died. He was heartbroken. He cut her body up in 12 pieces and sent a piece to each one of the tribes of Israel. When the tribes of Israel found the story behind why that happened, the Bible says they became on one accord as one nation. Ultimately, they rid the nation of Israel from that immorality. So I was thinking, God, how does that apply to America today? And God said to me, I've been giving America major signs of a dismembered body for years. And listen to what God showed me. Signs that should provoke us to unity. Legalized abortion should have provoked the body of Christ in America to unity. But it didn't. Prayer taken out of schools should have provoked the body of Christ in America to unity. It didn't. Uh, Prayer and faith taken out of public schools should have provoked it. It didn't. Uh, marriage redefined by the Supreme Court should have provoked the body of Christ to unity. It has not. Drugs that were once illegal are now legalized and is sweeping the nation should have provoked the body of Christ to unity. It did not. Parental authority over children is becoming illegal under certain circumstances. In some states, legislation is currently being passed to where children's Parents cannot teach them like I was taught as a kid that little boys are made of snakes and snails and puppy dog tails, and little girls are made of sugar and spice and everything nice. It's becoming illegal for for parents to tell boys that they're boys and girls that they're girls. And the body of Christ has not been provoked to unity. But I don't want to leave us there, brothers and sisters. I want to give us some things that we can look forward to when the body of Christ becomes a unified body, when the body of Christ becomes a unified body, we will accomplish in 10 years what our current status in our country would take 100 or 150 years to accomplish. What do I mean by that? We can begin to see an exponential increase in winning the loss to Jesus Christ when we become a unified body. We can begin to see homeless and naked people clothed on a far greater scale when we pool all of our resources together as a unified body. Feeding the hungry, caring for widows and orphans. When we become a unified body, we'll see injustices on the decline, peace on the increase, sick people getting well, fostering godly families, faithful husbands, virtuous women for wives, obedient children, electing godly leaders, supporting godly pastors, and loving our neighbors will all increase with a unified body of Christ. Jesus made a big deal of being a unified body. When he was praying to God in John chapter 17, he said, Father, that they may be one as you and I are one. And this was his motive, so that the world may know that you sent me. It breaks my heart, brothers and sisters in Christ, to think that if we are satisfied with our divisions, we are satisfied that the world doesn't know Christ is the Messiah, because if we were more united, Jesus said, then the world would know that I am the Messiah. Here's my finish. When I was a kid, and this is the summary of verses 25 and 27. It really, really summarizes it in a major way. This is Jesus's desire. It's a wonderful patriotic song, but it really speaks to the heart of Christ. There's a song we learned in school. I'm not much of a singer, but I can't just recite the words right here. The song was called No Man Is an Island. And it sounds something like this. No man is an island. No man stands alone. Each man's joy is joy to me. Each man's grief is my own. We need one another, so I will defend each man as my brother, each man as my friend." That's what Jesus Christ wants for us. My daughter sang this song years ago, It's a very fitting final closing for it. It says, I need you. You need me. We're all a part of God's body. Stand with me. Agree with me. We're all a part of God's body. It is his will that every need be supplied. You are important to me. I need you to survive. Brothers and sisters, I just came to sizzling summer to say, as the body of Christ, Jesus Christ is the Messiah, and our unity shows the true love of God that overwhelms all the challenges that we face as a nation. Thank you for inviting me, and may God bless you.